The National Desk, Conversations, America's News Now. I'm Jane Jeffcoat, and welcome to episode 22 of the National Desk Conversations. Every weekday, we invite newsmakers onto our morning television broadcast to discuss topics everybody's talking about. On today's podcast, we revisit our conversation with trial attorney Kieran Conti on the news of Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer's retirement. But first, Breyer's one-time law clerk and former Deputy Attorney General of Maryland, Thiru Vignarajam. After serving 27 years on the Supreme Court, Justice Stephen Breyer will retire at the end of this term, giving President Joe Biden an opportunity to appoint and guarantee another liberal judge. Joining us right now, Thiru Vignaraja, former Deputy Attorney General of Maryland and a former clerk for Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer joins us. Thanks so much for joining us, Thiru. Great to have you as always. Great to be here. Good morning. We've talked about this before. You know him. He wasn't ready before. What changed his mind this time? When did he finally make this decision to retire and under what kind of pressure? You know, I don't think Justice Breyer's one to relent to pressure. If anything, I think he wanted to make sure that this was done on his terms, on his timing. All of the people, you know, crowing for him to retire, if anything, that just delayed the decision. I think for Justice Breyer, this has always been about principle. His devotion, his loyalties are not to the Democratic Party. It is to the institution to which he faithfully devoted himself for now nearly three decades. And I think one of the things that probably uh, did turn is the fact that he has had a chance to put his imprint on so many issues, on so many subjects, and I think for his family, for himself, for his health, and for the court and the nation, this seemed like the right time to do it. And you clerked for him back in 2006. How has he shaped the court, and how will his retirement affect the Supreme Court moving forward, do you think? God, he was such a defining voice for so long. He is the constitutional pragmatist on the court. He's the justice who's always looking for points of convergence, points of consensus. And that's because of his worldview, his judicial philosophy, that the Constitution was meant to allow people to govern themselves. And the court's role, principally, was to leave people to their work. That voice will be missed, no doubt. Uh, but at the end of the day, not only are his made majority opinions going to be uh, critical, but so much of his legacy will be defined by two dissents, a dissent in a death penalty case where he called for the court to reconsider its constitutionality, as well as a dissent in a school segregation case where he uh, urged uh, the Supreme Court to allow Louisville, Kentucky, and Seattle, Washington to pursue more integrated education. He is no doubt going to be missed, but his legacy will last for a very long time. Very hard to replace. Of course, President Biden now faces pressure to keep a campaign promise he made to appoint an African-American woman to the Supreme Court. Theroux, who's on the short list? Who stands out to you? Yeah, look, I, you know, the short list, I think, is pretty well defined. There's three that I think really jump out. Uh, Judge uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson on the D.C. Circuit, Court of Appeals Justice Leandra Kruger on the California Supreme Court, and Sherilyn Eiffel, who just retired from leading the Legal Defense Fund for the NAACP. These are three incredibly qualified, exceptionally well-trained and respected potential jurists. Um, and I think it's going to be a difficult choice for the White House. You know, people like to play these parlor games about who's leading 
leading uh, in the chase for the Supreme Court appointment. But at the end of the day, you have three individuals, at least, who are exceptionally well qualified, who would do Justice Breyer proud. And I think that the, the president is going to have some really terrific options before him. Illinois Democratic Senator Dick Durbin responded to Breyer's retirement. This is what he said. With the Supreme Court vacancy, President Biden has the opportunity to nominate someone who will bring diversity, experience, and an even-handed approach to the administration of justice. I look forward to moving the president's nominee expeditiously through the committee. Through, how do you see this confirmation process going? Look, I am hopeful this is going to be a little bit uh, smoother than in the past. The Supreme Court that Justice Breyer joined back in 1994 was so different. Justices on that court were confirmed uh, by overwhelming margins, many of them unanimously. You know, Justice Antonin Scalia and Justice John Paul Stevens were both unanimously confirmed. I'm optimistic that we're not going to see the, frankly, embarrassing debacle that we saw with Merrick Garland, with naming a replacement to Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg after her death. I think this is an opportunity for President Biden to set a more moderate tone, and it'll give an opportunity for the nation to see what democracy and what a Senate confirmation should look like. I really am hopeful that this one will be different, because Justice Breyer's replacement won't necessarily shift the court dramatically from one direction to another. No, the dynamic of the court with Republicans still holding a majority, as we know, or conservative justices, we should say, but there is this idea that the person the president nominates could be a far-left progressive voice. Given the division already within the Democratic Party, how would that affect the confirmation process? Yeah, look, I think that would certainly raise uh, uh, bigger concerns about the smoothness of the confirmation process. I just don't see that happening. President Biden, in many ways, has been a moderate. He certainly pledged to rectify what I think he views as an error, as an oversight in the Supreme Court history. For a very long time, the Supreme Court consisted of nine white men. And the amount of talent, the amount of gifted jurists that were overlooked during that period is real. And I think President Biden is committed to trying to uh, ensure that the court looks more diverse and reflects uh, the nation as a whole. I also don't think he's going to, to appoint a, an arch left uh, ideologue. I think he's going to be looking for moderate, sensible, reasonable people that would do Justice Breyer proud. Because at the end of the day, that's who Justice Breyer has been on the court. He's been the centrist, moderate voice of reason. And I think that's the, the role that President Biden is going to look to fill. Theru Vignaraja, great to see you. Thanks for joining us this morning here on the National Desk. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You are listening to our weekly podcast, The National Desk Conversations, featuring newsmaker interviews from The National Desk, America's News Now. Next on episode 22 of our podcast, we continue our discussion regarding Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer's retirement. Here's my conversation with trial attorney Karen Conti. Well, after a lot of talk and speculation, Justice Stephen Breyer will step down from the Supreme Court at the end of the term, paving the way for President Joe Biden to appoint a successor. Joining us now, Chicago-based trial attorney Karen Conti. Karen, happy Thursday to you. Good morning. Morning. Democrats have been pushing Breyer to step down, so to keep the 6-3 split and guarantee that President Biden could appoint a liberal judge to replace Breyer. Now, for a minute, it didn't sound like he was going to do it, but... Let's talk about the politics and the pressure surrounding this, especially when both the justice and, and president right now in office align politically. 
there's always pressure uh, on the justice to, to step down and take one for the team, if you will. Um, you know, and some of it's subtle pressure and some of it's not so subtle pressure. I, I saw a picture that uh, they had uh, some liberal organization took a bus with a billboard that said, Breyer, retire, and was circling around the Supreme Court. So, yes, he's had a lot of uh, pressure put on him. But listen, these are very strong-willed people. These are very intelligent people. These are people with ambitions and families and money situations. So they're going to make their decisions based on what's good for them and maybe secondarily what's good for our country. You know, former Republican Senator Orrin Hatch suggested to former President Bill Clinton to nominate Justice Breyer as well as Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg to the Supreme Court. In his book, he said, quote, I knew them both and believed that while liberal, they were highly honest and capable jurists and their confirmation would not embarrass the president. From my perspective, they were far better than the other likely candidates from a liberal Democrat administration. Karen, what will Justice Breyer be known for on the bench? Well, I think he would be known as more of a moderate liberal. He also was known to be very practical. A lot of the justices say that our Constitution is kind of a frozen in time document. So you have to go back to the 1700s and figure out what the writers of the Constitution meant when they said certain things. He was not that way. He said, what will be the practical ramifications of our decisions on our current society, which I think is a good thing. He also was an advocate against the death penalty, and I think he said numerous times in some of his later opinions that whatever usefulness it had in the past, it doesn't have it anymore, and it should be deemed to be unconstitutional. I think those are his two legacies. What's this confirmation process going to look like, do you think, you know, with the current administration and Congress right now? Any idea as to who could fill his seat? Well, I think that the Democrats have the votes to do it. I think the choice has to be somebody who's super qualified. You know, Biden has said he wants an African-American female. If you think about it, we've only had uh, we've only had six women. So uh, this would be the sixth woman. And there's only been three African-Americans. So this would be like the third African-American. So so this is this is uh, I think he's going to stick with that. There are a lot of really good candidates. There's one in the D.C. circuit. There's one in Chicago. There's a, a California Supreme court justice who's very well qualified ivy league and so i think we're going to see those candidates circulated about a trial making headlines right now involves former alaska governor and vice presidential nominee sarah palin and it's about her libel case against the new york times that case is going to begin february 3rd by the way now governor palin suing the new york times for damaging her reputation after the editorial board penned an opinion piece alleging her rhetoric helped incite a shooting that resulted in several deaths and injured then arizona representative gabby giffords break down this case for us karen well it was an editorial but but in the editorial they connected some of the activities of her uh, election campaign people to what happened and in truth there was no connection and you, you know it's one thing to say that you know she did something that that may have stoked but they actually connected the two and that was false new york times did take it down the next day um but uh, sarah palin brought the lawsuit and i think her position is going to be that you can't have new york times say things that are false um and i I think the case is going to go to trial and it's going to be a lot bigger than just the facts of this case what do you mean well i think sarah palin is going to argue if you are a public figure there is a heightened uh standard so if i sue just anybody i can just prove that something's false and it harmed me but if it's a public figure like joe biden Joe Biden would have to sue me and say that I that it was malicious, it was actual malice, it was reckless disregard for the truth, or I knew it was false. So it's a heightened standard, and why? Because in our country, we want people to talk about our public officials. We want to criticize our president and our 
senators because we want to debate. But she wants to bring that standard down so that she, as a public figure, would be subject to the same standard as everybody else. Mm -hmm. So it's because a precedent. All right, Karen, great to see you. Yes. Great to see you this Good morning. To see that's episode 22 of the National Desk Conversations. Join me each weekday morning from 6 to 11 Eastern for the National Desk, America's News Now. Check your local listings or stream it on our website, thenationaldesk.com. Our podcast comes out twice a week with fresh newsmaker interviews. The conversation continues. Until next time, from the National Desk, I'm Jan Jeffcoat.